Welcome to the Radical Reverend Show. This is our Christmas show. And uh, you might get to hear it twice, actually, because Lord knows I'm not going to be taping next week. Um, so this is your host, of course, Sherry DeNovo, uh, work day jobs at Trinity St. Paul Center for Faith, Justice and the Arts. And I thought that for this Christmas show, it really focus on someone who, particularly in Protestant circles, really doesn't get enough attention. And that is Mary. I mean, think about her. This teenage girl who said it all. Uh, so we're going to be listening to tunes all about Mary. And then we're talking to two of uh, my very good friends, uh, Chris Smaller and Jody Fisher, both clergy. And we're going to talk about what their Christmases look like and, you know, kind of who's married to them. But let's start it all off with who else? Beyonce. And who knew she recorded Ave Maria, her own version, of course. So listen up. She was lost in so many different ways Out in the darkness with no So welcome, Chris Smaller and Jody Fisher, reverends, <laughs> to the Radical Reverend Show. It's great to see you. And let's start off, Chris, what does your Christmas look like? And talk about your church a little bit, too. Ah, well, Christmas. So Christmas is a bit strange this year. Is that is that too weak a term to use? 
Uh, it's so strange. Uh, so the church, I'm in a new church, Glebe Road United Church, which is in Midtown Toronto. And I started in this church in the midst of the pandemic. And here we are still in the midst of pandemic going into lockdown. So I have not actually met most of my congregants in person, although I have had uh, been, you know, very glad to have lots of interaction with them on the phone and by Zoom, 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 Zoom. Uh, so that's what our Christmas is is looking like. It's a Zoom Christmas for Glebe Road United Church. And in a way, it's actually awesome because we gather uh, on Zoom. It's very participatory. We're all on the screen. We all have a chance to talk and share. And this means that we can include all sorts of folks that normally wouldn't be able to come out to the services or the Christmas services, even if we weren't in a lockdown or pseudo lockdown or whatever Toronto is in right now. Uh, so uh, lots of people gather and we're going to be able, we're going to share some uh, singing, uh, very socially distant singing across the city. And we're going to hear the Christmas story. We've been focusing on Mary already all through Advent because her story is so strange and weird. So it's perfect for a strange and weird Advent season. And uh, for me personally, uh, uh, Christmas is going to be socially distant but hopefully uh, still warm and merry in other ways. And so Jody, what's your Christmas going to look like in Ottawa? We should say that Jody's in Ottawa, joining us from the nation's capital. I'm hoping that it's not snowing yet. I mean, everybody else wants a white Christmas, uh, someone in a wheelchair. I do not. I would be happy if it never snows. Um, I sort of pulled back for all the stuff from my church just before COVID hit. So nobody's noticed that I've pulled back. But the interesting was I learned something really valuable yesterday. There was a, a, a carol sing on Zoom. And, uh, and as, aside from being sort of intrigued by about the technicalities of it, I was thinking, well, you know, it might be nice just to go and try and whatever. And I learned something really important. There's a saying that if you're speaking, you're not listening. And I realized that when you do a Zoom, even though everybody's muted, if you're singing, that's really all you ever hear in a carol sing anyways. So I had my grandson, Chase, and my daughter, Stella, and myself singing Christmas carols. And I heard about the same thing as I would have heard if we had done it in the church. And it was actually quite nice. There was a few glitches at the end of it where, you know, people sort of freeze frame. And it always looks silly. That's what I hate about Zoom now is because if it's going to glitch, you're going to have like one eye open, one eye closed, or your, your tongue hanging out in a weird way. And you're like, do I ever do that? Ever stop me, right? So, and spending Christmas is going to be interesting. I'm used to cooking for like 20 to 30 people and it being a zoo for like four days of continuous kind of uh, events. And uh, we're actually ready to go for Christmas, which has never happened before. And it's really small. Like we're doing two small dinners of seven. Um, trying to protect sort of older people and masks in the house and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, so it's, uh, it's, it's different, but it's also kind of interesting because what I'm finding now is that what people really want isn't things they want stuff that you did or made or give them personally, right? Like it's really changed the, the tone of uh, Christmas and I'm, I'm grateful for that. You're listening to the Radical Reverend Show here, of course, and talking to two great friends, uh, Jody Fisher and Chris Smaller, talking about Christmas uh, in lockdown and uh, during a pandemic and what that looks like, and in particular focusing on Mary, which uh, we will do and we'll get back to after we hear another tune. And this is Sarah McLaughlin, one of my favorites, Arms of an Angel. So enjoy it uh, and come back and listen to us on the Radical Reverend Show. Spend all your time waiting For that second chance For a break that would make it okay There's always some reason To feel not good enough And it's hard at the end of the day I need some distraction
I call it the month of Mary in our church. So let's talk about her. Uh, I mean, we just heard two songs about her. This teenage girl, this teenage Palestinian girl in an occupied country who, you know, finds herself pregnant and uh, not married and pretty much homeless at the time of the story, who's normal, I mean, normally back then should be stoned to death. That would have been the result of how she found herself. But yeah, somehow we've, certainly in Roman Catholic circles, uh, made her, in fact, kind of face of the divine. So, Chris, let's start with you. Talk to us about Mary. Who's Mary? What's her role in all this? I think Mary is, uh, is such a strange and wonderful story. And if you look at it biblically, like you actually look at the stories in the Bible, in the Gospels, it's bizarre for one thing, you know, when the angel Gabriel comes to tell her that she's going to bear the Messiah, she basically says to him, like, Gabriel, I don't think you know how babies are made. Like, you got this all wrong. I can't. That's not going to happen. And when he explains that how it will happen, uh, she actually takes her time. There's a pause there. And the whole universe just waits on her answers to whether or not she's going to participate in this transformation of the universe. So I love that, that, you know, it all hinges on a teenage girl and her ascent. But also, you know, when she finds out she's pregnant, uh, she picks up and she somehow walks by herself 100 kilometers to her aunt's place. And we know that for her to have undertaken that journey, like things must have been pretty awful at home, right? So she goes to where she knows she's going to find acceptance and safety and so like this, this story is, it's just amazing. I, I, I just love it. Jody, first thoughts about Mary. Mary's an intriguing figure for me. I've always been sort of conflicted. I think because growing up in a, a predominantly Catholic neighborhood, Mary was owned by the Catholics for a very long time. And uh, we weren't really allowed to talk about her because uh, that whole that whole thing was off limits for Protestants, right? We let them have the Mary. Um, looking at it now, I can sort of see that for me, it's a very interesting kind of shift because you see the shift away from the, the Testaments being about the people in power 
to all of a sudden the people are not in power. And now we're talking about a completely different area of society. And, uh, and so it, it to me, that the, the fact that, you know, first of all, that she thought she had the choice is interesting. <laughs> and that she does choose is interesting. And then the way that everything keeps unfolding, right? I mean, it's just... I mean, there's there's so many in the reality of that day and age. Like you said, Sherry, she'd been killed. She would have, she would have never had the choice. She would have never been allowed to do what she did. And I'd like to think that in many ways she was uh, very clever, and Joseph was very clever in how opportunistic they were on seizing on the confusion of the census to get the hell out of Dodge, right? And and just be strangers walking around. And, you know, she wasn't talking about God then. She was just like, I need a stomach to have the baby, right? And so I think she's one of my heroes now that I'm allowed to talk about her, um, more so than ever. You know, I think I think that the Catholics are onto something to attach so much meaning to Mary. It's interesting, isn't it, that the patriarchal order of succession, you know, from David to Jesus only kicks in with Joseph. Yeah. I mean, when she's first pregnant, we're talking about a matriarchy here that was not in place at all. But for a moment there, you know, it kind of had to be tacked on to make that, you know, connection uh, because it really wasn't that connection, you know, like he really come from David, did he? <laughs> so, I mean, it's kind of interesting in that regard, too. I mean, I, of course, you know, um, it's mythic in part. I mean, who knows what happened, but I like to uphold the historicity of it a bit because it's so, as Chris, as you said, it's so weird. Like, who would come up with that? Like, I mean, you know, who would invent it? Like, you wouldn't invent that. If you were going to invent something and you wanted to show that Jesus was it, you know, um, you would have invented something much more male-dominated. Yeah. And it wouldn't have hinged around a teenage girl, um, that's for sure. It kind of smacks, because it's so weird, of, of you know, some kind of historicity there. Um, and we are talking about Mary here uh, on the Radical River Show, and we, we will for a while. Um such an interesting figure um, biblically. Um, let's talk about her as a feminist hero. Is she like a feminist women liberationist hero? Um, I mean, think of the Magnificat. What do you think? Oh, yeah. You see that, you know, the incredible radical social activist. Everyone wants to claim Mary, right? Everyone's a piece of her and they want to just nail her down. The, the whole, she's the, you know, the Madonna in that whole Madonna whore uh, you know, problem that has plagued women since uh, time memorial. So Mary's Mary, like, I think that that's how, what we see. And, you know, she is a badass and she gets on with things. And, you know, we catch glimpses of her throughout the gospels, right? Like we catch, like, you know, she ponders things in her heart. She's a thinker. You know, she's thinking deeply about these things. She's in a way rejected by her son, you know, mid-career when he says, you know, she's come to the door and he says, who's my mother? You're, you know, these are my family. I don't have time for them, but she's there with him at the end. And then, you know, we hear that she carries on with one of the disciples and presumably is actually one of the, the founders of the Christian uh, faith. So she is who she is. I think she reminds us of the complexity of of uh, humanity, but I think she definitely defies this whole, you know, binary understanding of good girl, bad girl, which frankly, um, that would, if we really felt that and believed that, that would further the feminist agenda more than anything else, I think. I mean, it's interesting. You've been to Turkey, Chris, um, and Ephesus, where at the edge of Ephesus, um, there is, you know, tradition says, where Mary ended her days, you know, um, in the house of Mary there. And, and, you know, when we were there, we went to a mass in that house. And it was actually pretty cool because there were people from all over the world, like just travelers, you know, so various languages. And and the priest was was pretty good about it, like let everybody take a turn reading, anybody put their hand up, you know. <laughs> and so that was good. Um, not, of course, in, you know, administering the Eucharist or anything like that. But I mean, certainly it had the feeling of kind of a communal gathering, this, this little kind of hut. I mean, who knows, right? Um, but but, um, but it is kind of cool that somebody kind of built a little shrine to her on the edge of Ephesus, um, which kind of makes you think, oh, so, you know, I never thought of, it. I, I can't visualize Mary hanging out with Paul somehow, although it's entirely possible. Who would hang out with Paul? <laughs> Not even so, Paul would hang out with Paul. I love the guy. But... <laughs> See, I think, I think for me, 
Um, I don't know that Mary's a feminist, but I think she's certainly an activist. And she's an activist in a new kind of order. Because if, and even if you look at the way the story is, is woven in, you know, where is she? She's watching. Where is she? She's witnessing. Where is she? She's watching. And, and all the way through, it's like she's the first apostle. She walks with him from the moment of his conception until the moment of his death. And you think that that and she doesn't do anything. She doesn't punch the soldiers. She doesn't. You know, I, I often tell people now that activism isn't necessarily having a, a strong response. Sometimes all you do is don't look away. Yeah. I mean, Mary, um, I think it's a Pieta, you know, the beautiful sculpture of her holding this dead son. You know, I mean, she's there at the birth. She's there at the death. She's one of the few at the death. I mean, let's face it. And most people abandoned him, including the disciples, really. Uh, so, I mean, she's the true apostle there. Uh, I want to throw something out because uh, let's let's bring sort of Roman Catholicism into this a, a little bit here with the Immaculate Conception. Um, I mean, the Immaculate Conception. So so before I, I thought of this show and inviting you to on, and by the way, uh, you're listening to the Radical Reverend Show. I'm Sherry Genovo. Uh, and we've got Jody Kaur and Chris Smaller, all um, United Church uh, clergy. Um, but the Immaculate Conception is a really interesting, not particularly biblical um, kind of Roman Catholic thing. Uh, and so I listened to a nun before, you know, putting this uh, thinking of the show. And uh, she went on this rant about um, how, you know, of course, um, there had to be no sexual congress involved in Mary because uh, otherwise she wouldn't be the perfect tabernacle. <laughs> I wonder, here's what I wonder, why that is important to some people. I think that says more about us than it says about Mary. And I think, you know, looking at the what's in the biblical text, I think does not put so much em emphasis on that and what's important. So here's what I would say. Um, so all three of us have been street involved, right? Like all three of us have been there. And do you not know, maybe some of us have been, you know, 13 year old girls who got pregnant on the street or were on the street because they got pregnant and kicked out. And, you know, the truth of how they have to trudge around from place to place for medical appointments or to get food. And, you know, finally they find somewhere safe or they don't. Like the, the truth of this story is so compelling to me. And I think about those girls in a way, I think that those 13 year old girls on the street also conceived by immaculate conception in a way, because because of their circumstances. Mm -hmm. And what I dislike about this particular conversation, especially at this time of year, I think this is a summer conversation, is that it distracts from the humanity of Mary, of like the actual incarnation, the, the you know, the in embodiedness of her and her story. Yeah, and of course, I mean, the, the Immaculate Conception is Mary's conception, right? Not her conception of Jesus. Um, uh, so, I mean, the fact that, that the church had to conceive of her as being free from the stain of sex, you know, I mean, this is where the virgin and the whore comes from, like this is the Madonna and the whore kind of, and, and so right back to her birth, you know, there can't be any Congress in there. Uh, I mean, it, it's, it's just bizarre to me. I just have to say it's bizarre. No, no insult to Roman uh, friends out there, but it's bizarre. Um, and I, I and I think probably that more than anything is the is the kind of, you know, beginning of this this weird way of looking at women, despite the fact that, I mean, on paper, um, if you just see what's in the Bible and you don't add anything in there, um, she's she really is this gutsy, outspoken, woman I mean the Magnificat is incredible it's this incredible hymn it's a revolutionary hymn you know like tear down you know I'll just quote a little bit from it you know he, talking about God's filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty God's helped his servant uh you know God has brought down the powerful from their thrones God scattered the proud you know um like this is this is the god who's overturned you know power and uh basically this is revolutionary god in mary's eyes and in her hymn um i want to uphold revolutionary mary 
Yeah. And if I could just say, that's the whole thing about the Immaculate Conception is, is that it's so anti-body that it has to go back a generation, right? Mm-hmm. And none of it's biblical. To me, what's really interesting is at the point that we're discussing, we're talking about with the birth, we're talking about the embodiment of God through Jesus in humanity, right? This is what we're talking about. And so the first thing we do with that is disembody the process so then it becomes not, you know, it's almost like, you know, to me, there's like two points, there's more than two, but the two significant points that Christianity sort of took a dive into the crapper was was this embodiment, the disembodiment of the embodiment of God and uh, Constantine, right? I mean, those two things have done all kinds of really twisted up things. Thank you. Twisted hi, up. Sorry. Hi, hi, Stella. So Stella, just so you know, on Radio Land there in podcast, so uh, uh, Jody's daughter Stella has just come into the picture. Stella, we're, you're, we, we're, we're interested in your opinions too, because, because uh, hey, you're a teenager. You're like more or less Mary's age. So what do you think of Mary, Mother of God, or MMOG as we call her in the trade? What do you think, Stella? About her, like, virgin the story. Yeah. The story? Just the story. Like, who is she to you? Like, you you taught Sunday school. My goodness. <laughs> I did. I did. I taught Sunday school for a few years, and they were really little kids, so they had a lot of blunt questions. They were like, but how? But why? But when? Exactly. So, I don't know how I see her. I think she's a little... She's definitely strange, and I think there's a lot. She's a product of her environment and her time, for sure. Like, her reactions, I don't know what I would have done. I probably would have been like, mm, yep, Sky, Sky Man, that's, that's it. But I don't know. I'm sure you guys have some different opinions than any. Thanks, Stella. Uh, yes, and it's absolutely, completely appropriate that we have a teenager's voice on this because yeah. we're talking about a teenager, talking yeah. about Mary. Let's take a bit of a musical break. Uh, This is Amy Grant, Breath of Heaven, another Mary hymn.
We're back on the Radical Reverend Show. You're listening to our, our Christmas edition, and we have Chris Smaller and Jody Fisher here, two of my very best friends who are speaking about Mary, um, who I'd count as another, you know, best friend here uh, <laughs> this season. Uh, it's been the month of Mary. Uh, I don't know particularly why this year has struck me as the month of Mary, but it's interesting, Chris, that you're saying that you've kind of been focused on her too, but it just seems like all of our services have had the Magnificat in it uh, in some way, shape, or form, or carols about Mary in some way, shape, or form. So I kind of just went with the flow, and I'm I'm talking about Mary this Sunday, and we'll just keep it going until uh, Christmas. Uh, but we're in the midst of a pandemic. Um, and we were talking earlier in the show about what that looks like for Christmas and how, you know, we're going to be isolated. One of the things that I, I posted a while back was, you know, there were only like three people uh, at the first Christmas and one of them was a newborn. I mean, you know, since when does Christmas have to be huge numbers of people? Um, there were three of them. They were in a barn. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, we're, we're getting back to the basics this Christmas and uh, should celebrate that fact. Um, but, but yeah, let, let's continue on with Mary um, and Mary and the pandemic. Uh, Jody, why don't you, I, I, by the way, I should, you can't see her sweater uh, on the radio, but she has a great sweater, a Jesus sweater, which I think is one of the better Christmas, you know, uh, bad Christmas sweaters that I've seen. It's, it's really quite uh, Jesus with a birthday cake. Because, uh, hey, happy birthday, Jesus. <laughs> Not quite yet, but coming. We're still focused on Mary. She's still she's still pretty big with child right about now, ready to ready to drop. Um, so pandemic and Mary. Jody. Again, I think that with Mary, I mean, there's some skills that we learn about being present and doing things that are, you know, the, the you know, the down the road discussion about the other Mary and Mark, Martha and all that kind of thing. Right. The women. The women in the New Testament often, to me, signify, um, how to put it, not political figures, but cultural figures that are just there and take care of things. Like, it's like they're, they're like the, the backstage people that make everything happen. And there's no magic without them, but nobody knows who they are. And so I think what's been interesting with the pandemic is realizing, like, for, for uh, example, just going back to doing things that are very simple and very basic, like feed people say hi to people, reach out, talk to people, be present for people. And, and these are things that, you know, we've tried to pay. I think the pandemic following sort of 
the idea of just being there as a witness and being there present for people, uh, and that's what I learned from Mary, is uh, is really valuable during the pandemic because, you know, you're expecting first to like, well, we'll feed everybody and then we'll do this. Like, no, I'm going to call people once a week. <laughs> and that's all I could do. And it's not heroic, but it's it's something and it's significant. Yeah, I mean, one of the, the sad facts of our city, and I'm sure Ottawa is not much different, talking to uh, Jody uh, Fisher, who is in Ottawa, and Chris Smaller, who is between here and north of here, um, is um, is that most, you know, like a third of our population in Toronto live alone. A third of our population live alone. And in a pandemic and situations like this, um, that can be, first of all, unsafe in some ways, um, but also can be lonely. Uh, so, and a, and a lot of them are seniors, uh, but not all. Uh, so again, uh, those who are most at risk in the pandemic are, are alone. Um, and like I said, there were only two at the first uh, Christmas, um, Joseph and Mary, presumably till all the crowd came and said, yay, baby. Um, so until that happened, there was just them. But it's something to keep in mind. And, and perhaps, you know, out there in listener land, uh, whether you're listening on podcasts or you're listening on the radio station at CIET 89.5. And by the way, I shouldn't forget this. Um, the, the fundraising drive is still on. Last alternative radio station left in Toronto, Buffalo to Barrie and Kitchener to Coburg do donate. Um, so let's talk about loneliness in the pandemic. So uh, Chris, loneliness and Mary, um, anything from, from a woman's point of view? I mean, this is, this is a huge woman biblically in the New Testament. Um, what does Mary have to tell us about the pandemic? What a great question. Yeah, I think that, you know, the loneliness it's really the, tr I mean, there's so much loneliness before the pandemic and we have just seen almost, you know, tragic situations of people dying alone without loved ones. Um, it's almost impossible to process uh, that how, how just how sad that is. So I think that um, the other thing that we've seen through the pandemic is you know, the revelations that have been brought to us by Black Lives Matter, Indigenous rights organizations, other social activist organizations that have really revealed um, the underbelly of our capitalist society. And so I think Mary speaks to both those things. I think about women like Stacey Abrams in the States, like so many women, the doctors, you know, the, the medical, the medical chiefs in Canada, all these men too, of course, and we don't need to be binary, all sorts of people, but the way that the feminine has shown in these past 10 months as, as strong as Jody, as you're saying, is like unwilling to go away and doing what's necessary, feeding people, calling people, standing outside, touching windows, you know, putting your hand to a window with a, win a hand on the other side of that window, but also organizing and uh, fighting uh, for systemic change as well as change in our communities. And I do see Mary uh, as someone who embodies both that, you know, the immediate personal uh, activism of, of, you know, working for family and community, but also demanding, actually more than demanding, you know, Mary declares that it's already happened, that God has already upended the world and sent the, the powerful away. So I think that she's an incredible emblem. And I think we're starting to see that in art, you know, and certainly in, in uh, religious, contemporary religious art that's come out in the last 10 months, I'm uh, thinking from the African American community in the states, uh, incredible renditions of of Mary and uh, and and her story. Uh, yeah, I mean that's something that absolutely we should talk about is that clearly Mary is a woman of color. Um, Mary is an indigenous woman of color, and uh, that aspect of Mary isn't held up too often. Uh, I remember um, when I was in uh, the Holy Land and on the West Bank uh, in Nazareth going to an amazing art gallery there that is dedicated to Mary um, and that has mosaics of Mary from all over the world. And every country shows Mary as, you know, indicative of the average woman in that country. So she's black, she's Thai, she's Asian, she's everything. Um, uh, there was a Canadian, you know, uh, offering too, which was 
pretty abstract, but certainly uh, Mary is and was indigenous. And that was very clear in the mosaics in that church. So if you ever find yourself in Nazareth, check it out. Um, I, I believe it's called um, the Chapel of the Incarnation, but I could be wrong. So uh, do check it out. It's it's absolutely worth the visit. And we should uphold that, that Mary is a person of color. Um, I, I mean, the color of Mary, uh, Jody, what does that say to you? Well, it's interesting because we were talking earlier about loneliness. I think that often what is painful for people isn't so much loneliness as powerlessness. And I think that what happens is that people who are left alone a long time and then are told they can't leave and then have all kinds of rules and all these things they have to follow. It's not that they're alone. It's that they feel powerless. And when you when you give them opportunities to feel like they have power and saying, like, you know, could you please call so and so and check up on them or, you know, I'm going to drop you by something or I'm coming to stand and wave at your window or whatever. I mean. It, what strikes me is now is the opportunity for less to be so much more, so much more to take the drive in the car. I watched a, a parade for Hanukkah, a parade of cars honking for Hanukkah, going up and down. And you think like, yeah, that's exactly what we need to do. And, and people who experience that aren't lonely. They see themselves, they see other people, they feel attached. They're hooting and hollering. You know, I think, I think that there's, there's, lots of opportunities to um, give people power back. And this really is, again, talking about the world from the underdog or the underdog or the, or the, or the oppressed point of view, at, which is where Mary comes in and starts signifying the story right away. And Jody, your, your, your discussion about Mary as, you know, always being there, taking care of things in the backdrop, as well as, of course, like being very upfront with the Magnificat and saying what she thinks, um, preaching, as, as it were. Um, but I mean, we, in Ontario, we've had 1,700 nurses quit. Uh, at, at the worst possible time, but one understands exactly why. I mean, so just lots of love and prayer out there to all of our frontline healthcare workers, not just healthcare workers, just those, you know, the Marys in the grocery store, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. the, the Marys that are there, you know, um, endangering their own lives so we can get food. Um, those Marys too, uh, certainly they're, they are everywhere. Um, and, and so there's that aspect of, of Mary's role as well. Um, but I think it's really important to hold up because, of course, we're so used to blonde haired, blue eyed Mary that Mary was not blonde haired and blue eyed folks. You know, um, <laughs> you know, she just was not. Uh, and, uh, and neither was Jesus while we're, we're on the topic. So uh, to uphold that in the midst of, of what has been in this last year, a really positive note, which is the uprising against um, brutality and police violence. You're listening to the Radical Reverend Show, of course. I'm Sherry Denova, the host. Um, we've got Jody Fisher on and Chris Smaller. We're all church ladies. <laughs> we're all involved in the church. Um, we're all of us preachers. We're all of us caretakers. And uh, we're talking about, you know, that incredible woman, um, Mary, um, MMOG, uh, who uh, really kicks us off this month uh, because Jesus isn't born yet. Jesus isn't around yet. Um, we'll come back very shortly, but but right now we're focused on Mary, and uh, and it's a good place to focus for Christmas. So, other thoughts we haven't covered about her, uh, Chris? Anything? What do you want to say? Well, you know, I I think you know, circling back to the whole immaculate conception, I think that we see that you know that's tradition that's not in the Bible, right? That this this attempt to disconnect women from their own communities. So going back and saying that, you know, Mary's mother was, you know, actually didn't have um, a father or, you know, a real community so that that Mary becomes this can become this holy vessel that is just not part of, you know, human community. And we're seeing that, you know, we think about the residential schools, how they attempted to do the same thing, you know, the the treachery of the slave traders who kidnapped you know, people from Africa, like this, this constant attempt of the system to, you know, disrupt people from their community. I think that's also something that we can look at. And, you know, for those out there who don't have close family or friends know that you are still part of a community. Uh, you're definitely part of the human community and nothing, no power institution, no power principality can, can, uh, can disengage you from that. 
And Jody, um, one of the things that I, I posted is something, an issue of gratitude is not only to frontline workers, but also to those who are like getting the, the facts out against all the noise of uh, insanity that can be out there in the media. Um, and uh, just about what it's like to, you know, the, the sad aspect of what it's like to die alone with COVID in a hospital. Um, and, uh, you know, with, with your relatives not being able to be there and, and often so, you know, drugged that you can't focus on Zoom and to die alone. And one doctor, uh, Dr. Warren is his name, who uh, posted about that, was subjected to incredible hate mail, like incredible hate response about this. Yeah. I find it quite interesting, and, and uh, as a former hospital chaplain, my question was, where are the chaplains? And then you start to realize that through cuts in the admin and cuts in the hospitals and cuts in the government and cuts in everything, where there used to be, like 10 years ago, I could make a call to a hospital, talk to a chaplain anywhere in the world and get a message to someone that was in that hospital. I could do that. I could send them to the family. I could do that because chaplains were there as a network. And that's been decimated. So now, and, and so when the people first, the doctors are like, oh my God, we're sitting with people while they're dying. And I'm like, yeah, because you don't call the chaplains because they can't come in anymore. And chaplains were barred from all of the hospitals. And when I talk to people in faith communities, the leaders and say, how did that happen? Like we have a memorandum of agreement with the Ontario Multi-Faith Council and the, the Ontario government saying that spiritual care is a fundamental right of all patients. And yet that nobody knows about the agreement, but nobody is there like, what? There's an agreement? I'm like, yes, of course. And it's just been ignored. It's been written off and ignored. And so I think I'm hopeful that one of the things that might happen coming out of this is that we'll be able to get more chaplains back into hospitals because spiritual care for people uh, in any situation is important. And during these kinds of situations is critical. Um, I'm on a site for, for chaplains in the U.S. that are starting to go back in, and they're doing things like taking paper mache or, or concrete casts of people's hands as they die, because that's all they can give to the family, right? Like they're taking pictures and doing Zoom. And, and I mean, it's an incredibly difficult job. And if you didn't have God in your gas tank, you couldn't do it, right? But they're there and they're doing it, and it's making a difference. And I, I ask everybody, and I've had no answers, um, where are the chaplains? Absolutely. That person of whatever faith who sits with you as you die. I mean, this is not the role of a social worker. It's not the role of a bioethicist. <laughs> this is the role of someone who speaks to you in a, in a language that um, is really critical to you at, at particularly that time of death. Absolutely. So, so Chris, um, let me ask you, I, if you were to say what Mary means to you in a sentence, what would you say? Mary, to me, uh, embodies a life well-lived from beginning to end, a life of, of courage and compassion, but also a life of dignity and uh, of self-worth. You think about her holding her newborn baby and pondering all the things that were going on. Fast forward to her holding her dying son. This is, this is a person that is neither Madonna nor whore. Um, this is someone who we can all look to for inspiration. And Jody, a couple of sentences, what Mary means to you. Well, I'd say what I think Mary says to me in a, a clearer kind of sense is eat your Brussels sprouts, right? Be aware that you got to keep trying things you didn't like when you first tried them. You got to keep trying things as you change over your life. And eventually you'll get to a point where you'll like Brussels sprouts too. And I think that it's, it's, it's her gentle perseverance that's kind of uh, wears you down in the end, right? So that then all of a sudden you're like, oh, you know, as I shift my life now from being an activist to being a contemplative, I can sort of transfer now more into seeing what Mary was doing. Because before that, I'm like, get up, do something, yell at them, like throw something like, you know, and now I'm like, no, just sit there. That's good. That's good. Well, I would have to say, like, I, I like her power. I like the Mary the Magnificat who who preaches, you know, as a teenager um, when she, everything, I mean, like everything in her society told her to shut up. She did not shut up. She spoke and she spoke loudly, um, a kind of revolutionary message. So, I mean, I uphold that, Mary. I think Mary rocks. We, we could just all agree on that. And and so as you out there in listener land uh, have your lockdown uh, Christmas, 
think think of that teenage girl up against everything um, who still spoke out and and feel that energy. Uh, we're going to go out and I want to thank uh, uh, Reverend Chris Smaller and of course uh, our long-standing Reverend, uh, irreverent Reverend uh, Jody Fisher, who's been on the show both before and good friends all. Uh, we're going to go out with the classic Ave Maria, but this time no words, no words, yo-yo ma, Catherine Stott, and uh, have yourself a contemplative Mary, Mary like Christmas. Amen. <laughs>